Father God, we thank you for being our immovable rock, a fortress which the righteous can run into and be saved. God, thank you that we're safe with you, God, that if you're for us, who could be against us? And as the psalmist says, if we soar into the heavens on the wings of the dawn, if we make our bed in the depths, if we settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide us, even there your hand will hold us fast. God, we thank you that apart from you we have no steadiness and you are our rock and our salvation. We're glad for that, God, in a world that's upside down and crazy and the earth all around us is shifting sand, but on Christ, the solid rock, we stand. We're grateful for that, God. Thank you for your great and precious promises. We cling to them. Even tonight, Lord, we think about your hand holding us fast on the path that leads to life, the blessed path that Psalm 1 talks about. You call us to walk on that path of blessing, God, and to watch out for the road that leads to destruction. So help us, grant us wisdom now as we consider these ways. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you take your seat this evening. I was in grade school the first time I ever heard a classic poem. Uh, and it was a good one by Robert Frost and uh, actually let, read a lot of his uh, work because we lived in the suburbs of Boston in the same town where Robert Frost had grown up in the 1800s, and so Lawrence, Massachusetts uh, claimed to fame there, the home to uh, Robert Frost. And he liked to write about uh, little themes peculiar to New England and culture and people and even the landscapes. And so anyway, one morning, my fourth grade teacher took out a phonograph. So if you're old, you can turn to somebody and explain to them what a phonograph is. It plays, and, and she played a record uh, of Robert Frost reciting his own poem, The Road Not Taken. And his voice, I was nine or ten years old, it was very moving, very somber tone, his voice, and it really touched my heart, and I have a vivid memory of it. And uh, you can still hear him read this poem. Uh, it's on the internet. And so, yeah, I've got a slide, a picture of the two paths that the poem talks about. And I'll read uh, the first and last stanzas. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler, long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. And the last stanza, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Well, truth be told, and since we're rhyming, two roads still diverge in that wood where every single soul will have stood to choose the path that they will take wide or narrow there's a lot at stake to end with life 
and joy above or miss the path of God's great love. Uh, So the first night of our summer through the Psalms series, we begin with Psalm 1. Six verses that speak to a rather important choice with eternal ramifications. All human beings must make this choice between two paths in life that diverge before every human being, a cosmic confrontation, if you will, a choice between uh, the narrow way, God's way, that leads to life and blessing and a wide path without God that leads to doom and destruction. And like Robert Frost's poem, uh, it's the road less traveled that will make all the difference for the few who find it. And so Psalm 1, six verses, let's take a look at the two paths. Blessed or happy, fortunate is the man, and of course the person, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, God's word, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Right. Those are good words to think about tonight. We're going to walk through these six verses. There's a lot to unpack, especially for believers. So verses one through three, we're it's going to take some time uh, with that. And then we're going to end with uh, the destiny of the wicked and that terrible path. So let's get to it. Uh, Psalm 1 really is <clears throat> offers really an introduction to the rest of what's called the Psalter. P-S-A-L-T-E-R, the collection of Israel's hymns there um, in the Old Testament. There's 150 of them. Uh, Israel's collection of divinely inspired worship songs with diverse themes. The Psalms speak of the glory and the greatness of God, the praise Psalms. And then the Psalms are more like prayers, some of them that uh, express fear and despair and cry out to God for his comfort and his help in times of trouble. And then there are psalms that um, prophetically speak of Jesus, of Messiah, his saving work on the cross. And so here with Psalm 1, the bottom line is heaven's revelation here is really just the bottom line of the Bible and the gospel and really 66 books caught up in six verses, those who take the path of obedience to God will be blessed. And those who choose the road of disobedience to do life their own way won't be. So the re- familiar refrain here, really, and two verses from Deuteronomy that show us here. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death. Two paths between prosperity and disaster. <laughs> it just seems like he's saying, you know, I, I, 
I've got a choice for you, a punch in the nose or an ice cream. You know, I don't know. It just seems a, a lot more distinct than, than that. This day I call the heavens and the earth as a witness against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings or curses. Now choose life. I love that. He says that it might go well with you and your children. I'm thinking about our kids and how we'll raise them. Because if mom and dad go uh, offline, <laughs> the kids go with them, unfortunately. And so, yeah. So let's dig in. We'll go to our verses uh, one and two first, okay? And how we can be blessed by God and avoid uh, disaster. That's exactly it. So the writer begins with the path less traveled. The way of the righteous, as he sums it up in verse six, he says the way of the righteous, God watches over that, excuse me, and uh, you will be blessed. Now, The godly person here is described as one who avoids evil wherever they find it, whether it's in them or outside of them, and in every and any form it takes. Uh, And not only are they ridding themselves of evil, but they're filling themselves and nourishing themselves with the word of God, Uh, not only to be hearing the word, but putting it into practice and obeying it. Uh, So if you're going to understand this psalm, we've got to understand the word righteous. Because a lot of, even Christians don't understand what it means. English dictionaries define it this way. uh, Behavior that's morally right, characterized by justice, virtue, or uprightness. It's not biblical. Uh, Biblical righteousness has a different nuance. Since it's not possible for man to attain righteousness because there's no one good, no, not one. And we are taught that the only righteous being is God himself. So the term righteous, when it's applied to us, is never a goodness that comes from our will or our effort, but it's always described being someone who by faith has been put right with God. And so from that and because of that, right behavior flows. So that famous scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So it's that great exchange. So the righteousness of uh, which the Bible speaks and calls you to is a right behavior that's cooperating with the Holy Spirit that came into you at conversion when you believed in Jesus and were raised to new life. It's the great exchange Jesus died for you as you to give you his moral perfection and he took on your uh, sin. And so, so always be knowing righteous, right with God and the behavior that flows uh, because of that. So uh, here's step one. You do, uh, uh, godly people, godly means like God. So ungodly means you're ungodly. You don't have God. So if you have God, you're supposed to be godly, right? And so godly people who are blessed, number one, step one, you do not walk in the council of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of markets. So, mar- <laughs> markets, yeah, uh, mockers. All right. In short, 
the happy, blessed man. And when he says blessed, he's talking about a joy that comes from being right with God. All right, there's this forgiveness of sins. There's uh, eternal life. There's reconciliation with God. All the perks of being right with God, that is what blessed means. It may include material blessings, but Job was lacking a lot. He's a blessed man. Was he not blessed? He was blessed through his heartache of a horrendous kind. And uh, others, the Apostle Paul, he, he was a blessed man through all of that chaos and all of those trials and suffering and persecution. And our Lord Jesus was a blessed man. If we consider his humanity, he was a man acquainted with sorrow, acquainted with grief. And yet also he was considered in the Psalms as the most joyful human that ever lived. And so, yes, there's joy and happiness and blessing, but it always doesn't look like the prosperity preachers teach that God wants to prosper you uh, by giving you money and cars and houses and keep you in perfect health. Uh, that's just a cult heresy. So in short, the happy man is defined by things he doesn't do any longer, uh, the places he doesn't go. Look at verse 1, it's negative. The crowd he doesn't hang with, um, the sites he doesn't click on, um, the drugs he doesn't take, the YouTube channels he doesn't watch, the attitudes he doesn't embrace, the habits he doesn't hold on to, <laughs> the impulses and passions he doesn't yield to. So I love this in Colossians 3. I think I have the verse there. Uh, a parallel thought in the New Testament. Because of such evils, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience on that terrible path. When you lived on that path, you also walked. There's the, the walking, the path in these ways. But now that you're off that path, the wide path that goes down to hell, now you must rid yourself of all kinds of things. And this is just a sample of the list. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. And then there's all kinds of other moral, uh, immoral vices, I should say. And so the blessed person, number one, first and foremost, will rid themselves of evil wherever they find it. Whether it's springing up, as I said, from Jeremiah 79, the heart that is deceitful above all things and beyond cure with its sickness beyond human cure um, or if it's in our associates or friends wherever we find evil we abstain we put it to death we die to it and if you walk in the spirit you will not fulfill the desires of the sinful nature galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 so let's take each one of these three clauses of verse 1 and suggest milk them and see what we can glean from them. Up first, he says, really, uh, refuse to walk in the counsel of the ungodly or the wicked or wrongdoers. That's the idea. Now, the meaning is God's blessing rests on those who no longer live according to the dictates of those who are in rebellion. Right. So, i.e., the world at large its ways of doing things. So a good example 
of not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. Back in the day, we had a Mazda minivan and the transmission went out. So I took it to a place in Petaluma. And uh, here's what he said, and I quote, I'm as honest as the day is long. However, I can make a tiny little adjustment because you're just 150 miles over your warranty. And that way, um, the thing is covered. I get paid, you get a new transmission, and there's a happy ending at the end of the story. And I had to choose the path there. And I said, that's not the way we roll in my household. And so uh, we're going to have to uh, take out a loan. Just kidding. We're going to have to, uh, we're gonna have to uh, bite the bullet and pay for it. Um, yeah, we're, we're not to walk the way sinners walk. Because we used to walk that way, right? So the world says, the counsel of the ungodly is the world says, it's just a tiny adjustment. Uh, and the Lord says it's fraud and it's not in keeping with the character of God and those who are godly. Therefore, we refrain. So there's a host of precepts from the counsel of the ungodly. Uh, the counsel of the, of the ungodly say it's not a baby, it's just fetal tissue. Love is love. If you're attracted to someone, why not? Uh, love means accepting all lifestyles, suspending all moral judgment. Just accept everybody. Live and let live. That's the counsel of the world. Uh, identify as you like to identify, not as God created you. That's the counsel of the ungodly. So uh, two weeks ago, I was up in the city, and I, I just had a doctor's appointment, and uh, uh, everything's good. And uh, so I stood on the scale, and I stepped off, and she wrote down the number and said, wait, well, hold on. I don't identify with that number. <laughs> I identify with a number 10 pounds less than that. So she started laughing. She thought that was hilarious. And then she said, well, I identify at 130 then. <laughs> and she really wasn't. <laughs> Even I, as a man, knew that. And so, you know what? You know what? But that's a great example. Because if you're not 130, you can't weigh 130. doesn't matter what you wish. You know, I'm sorry. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you would prefer to be, you know. So the counsel of the ungodly is that you can... Uh, Deny the truth when it gets in the way of your desire to do your own thing. Uh, So yeah, we don't embrace human philosophies. This is what the first clause of the first verse means, worldly thinking. There's many paths that lead to God. Uh, Blaze your own trail. Be the captain of your own destiny. Find your voice and be true to yourself. These are all things that the world loves and cheers, and you'll get thunderous applause at a TED Talk for saying, you know, and and all the while two thumbs down from the one on the throne. And so he says, don't walk there. Next clause, 
Standing in the way of sinners doesn't mean you're standing in the way of sinners. It means you're participating, you're living the way a sinner lives. And so these have kind of overlapping uh, similarities here, but a little bit different here. So let's talk about uh, standing as sinners do, living as they do. Don't go with the flow of a sinner's life. I was talking to a young man in a machine shop, and sorry, this is going to get a little real. Um, I asked him if he liked his job, and he says, yeah. He says, it's something productive I can do. When I'm not here, I just drink beer, play video games, and watch porn. Yeah, I know. I guess, too. It was kind of like, who's around? What? <laughs> what just happened? You know? Um, not even embarrassed, almost like to get a chuckle out of me, I guess. He didn't get a chuckle, but he did get a prayer. <laughs> Not out loud, but he got lifted before the Lord. So blessed people don't live the way ungodly people do who don't know the Lord. So you'd only be looking at what you shouldn't be looking at if you were a sinner. That's what sinners do before the Holy Spirit comes in and directs you to want to think on noble things. I was sharing the gospel with a young man who worked in a bakery where I used to take my breaks as a teacher in Concord. And uh, I led him to the Lord and I gave him a Bible. Then he invited me to dinner there one night and uh, his wife wanted to meet me and she had some questions. Young couple, cute, just crazy wonderful couple. And uh, one of the things she said there as we were barbecuing in the backyard, she said, I was reading the Bible that you gave to my husband and I came upon this passage. Jesus was talking and he said, I tell you, whoever looks at a woman with lust has committed adultery with her. She said, how is that? possible and I fear for my husband Uh, and she did a nervous little giggle and so did he (laughs) and it's like explain that and so I said well God gives the believer the Holy Spirit new life and new power that if you're in Christ you're a new creation the old is gone the new has come and The Lord crucifies that old nature and it's languishing on the cross in there and it only has as much power as you want it to have. If you want it to be put to death by walking in the spirit, those things. And you can simply abstain from evil and the Holy Spirit will give you the power. Um, And so, yeah, we talked about that. Um, And as the scriptures say, when you lived in the world in ignorance, that's the way you used to live. So we don't live that way anymore. And so we don't live the way sinners do. We don't have sex until we're married. What is that? You know, the world is like, are you crazy? It's like the most important thing about a person. Well, guess what? If God put you together, he probably thought through everything. You don't, yeah, no, 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 no. That's the way the world thinks. Oh my goodness. We don't get drunk and we don't get high. 
We don't gossip and slander and lie, and we don't cheat on our tests and cheat on our taxes or cheat on our spouses. You know? It's just um, because we don't walk in the way of sinners. We've been taken off that path. We are not supposed to do the same stuff that they do. And this irritates them. And it's like some of our persecution arises from that. They, First Peter chapter 4, verse 4, we're going to get there on a Sunday. They think that it's strange when you answer your phone in church. <laughs> they think it's strange that you don't plunge into the same flood of immorality as they do. And so they heap abuse on you. So yeah. Now... We do what's right and good, not so that we can be saved, just in case you get confused here. Uh, We do what's right and good because we have been saved and filled and changed. And the result of being saved is moral transformation. If you don't have, I promise you, if you don't have moral transformation, you don't have salvation. I'm not saying you don't struggle. I'm just saying if you are not changing and hating your sin and loathing it and clinging to God and crying out, uh, then Houston, we have a problem. So the last idea in verse 1, believe it or not, we will get through this, um, is uh, do not, a godly person doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful or the mocker. Book of Proverbs tells us who he's talking about. A mocker is proud and critical of God and uh, his ways, and uh, he rejects uh, the Lord and therefore becomes a fool. He has said in his heart, there is no God, and he's made himself uh, the Lord himself. and so the, the blessed godly person that should not think more highly of yourself than uh, you, you ought, Romans 12 says. And progressive Christians who have left the faith, but they still want to call themselves Christian, you know. Uh, but they've changed the gospel. It's not the gospel, but they don't like the gospel as it is because it makes them very unpopular and uncomfortable. So they still want the title. They still want the benefit. They still want to look in the mirror and say, everything's okay, but everything's not okay. And so they, uh, they are all puffed up with themselves and they are wiser than the Apostle Paul and more forgiving than Jesus. And they think that's cool. But they're, they're mockers, they're scoffers. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, James 4 and verse 6. So here's a nice and um, cool summary statement of this whole thing. James 1 and verse 21, I have the slide Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. So this is a really nice segue. Get rid of the evil in whatever form it is. Bad company corrupts good morals, you see. And, and you know, we all, all, the influence today is on your phone. I will be flipping through those shorts just like, uh, you know, they're just flipping them through like that and then boom, boom, you know, with profanity or something immoral or, you know, it's like, no, 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 no. 
You just have to see it and make some choices. That's what you have to do. So the passion of godly people. But his delight is in the word of God, and he's always thinking about what the Bible has to say (laughs) night and day. So a blessed life is not just about chop-chopping things we don't do. In, in, in fact, if, it, if you stop there, uh, you're just going to be like a nice person. And there's a lot of nice people who are going to perish because they don't love God or his word. So you have to fill. It's not just about emptying. In fact, you fill first, and then that kind of pushes the dead leaves off and all of that. And so... Let's talk about the Word of God. We talked a little bit about this two weeks ago with nourishing ourselves as newborn babies, desire the pure milk of God's Word, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 there. Uh, So, yeah, the Word of God is essential. And godly people crave it, desire, love it, have a passion. Can't get enough of it. Jeremiah said, you know, when he found the Word of God, he devoured it. And it was his highest joy. Now, what did Jesus tell the devil? (laughs) when the devil was tempting him. And the devil was tempting Jesus when he was very hungry. He had been fasting a very long time. And um, the devil tempted him to use his power uh, apart from dependence on God the Father and God the Father's plan uh, to serve himself. And so he said to the devil, he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. He said, man cannot live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So right now, my hunger and my ability to turn that stone into bread is not what's most important. What's most important is what God has to say about this. And so, yeah, this is, this is just life. There's something more important than eating food, Jesus says. It's a, doing God's will. So if you missed a couple Sundays ago, I have five slides with three references of all the benefits of the word of God for the godly on the path of the blessed. And so I'm, we're going to go through them again. The word of God is the source of Christian maturity. That's the way you grow up in your salvation is the milk of the word of God. It's also called meat. It's the way we become mature Christians. The source of knowing right and wrong, uh, uh, 2 Timothy Timothy 3.16, is that the world has standards of right and wrong, but it's very different, as we've already mentioned. So we'll know what God thinks is right and wrong. You can't really live with any effectiveness if you're unclear. So you need the word of God. The source of equipping us, 2 Timothy 3.17, It says the word of God prepares us to know how to serve God and to minister in his name. Next slide. The word of God is the source of answered prayer. Interesting, John 15, 7 says, if you remain in me and you remain in my word, ask what you will and it will be granted unto you. I think that what he's saying here, as I said a couple Sundays ago, is is that when you're immersed in the word and fill your mind with the word and you're meditating on the word, you're more inclined to ask things that make sense to God, that are in God's will for your life. And you have God's thinking on the matter. And so you're going to ask what's in line with God because you're 
in tune with him through his word. Secondly, there, the source of victory over sin, Psalm 119, 9 through 11. I think I wrote that one down. Let me see. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Man, when you've got the word right there, you just know. And you have the power and the desire. The source of moral transformation, the word of God sanctifies us, Jesus said. It has power. It's it's just not like uh, Huckleberry Finn. Huck Finn, that's right. Tom Sawyer, whatever. It has power. Next slide. The word of God is the source of faith. If you're low on faith, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ, the word of God. The source of victory over the evil one, we already talked about it. Three times Jesus was tempted by the devil and as an example to us and uh, also for the fact that it works, the word of God is power and we fire back when we're under spiritual attack, we use the word of God. So if you don't know the word of God, if you're not in the word of God, you're defenseless. You're defenseless. Source of success, Joshua 1.8. I think I wrote that down. Joshua 1.8. I wanted to get this one. That's a good one. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be successful and prosperous. So that's important there. And of course, prosperous meaning, again, in the favor of God, whatever your outward circumstances uh, may look like. Uh, We have two more slides. Source of guidance, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path, Psalm 119 there. Source of wisdom, Exodus 18, 16. Moses helped guide the people when they had disputes. It says that he opened the word, the scrolls of the word of God. The source of spiritual cleansing. Uh, Jesus told his disciples that you guys are clean because of the word I spoke to you. So the word has a spiritual cleansing ability. Uh, Last slide. Source of comfort and hope. I love this one. It's through patience and comfort of the scriptures that we might have hope. That's Romans 15 and verse 4. Source of joy. I told you already, Jeremiah Uh, devoured the word and it caused him great rejoicing and the source uh, of power over fear whenever um, I this is one of my favorite scriptures in fact you know I could be moved talking about it because um, when I was intubated and I woke up and I was restrained and I didn't know where I was because of the drugs and I was in a dark room by myself on a breathing machine. And I said this verse over and over and over and over again. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you and God, whose word I praise. I must have said that a hundred times. And it worked. And look, here I am. (laughs) Again. (laughs) 
again, <laughs> again, back from the dead. You know, it's a spiritual gift, I guess. Uh, it's, a, it's the grace of God for sure. So, yeah, it's our delight, the word of God, both day and night. And with some awesome results, verse 3. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf doesn't wither. Whatever he does prosper. So just this beautiful picture there. Isn't that nice? You know, roots down, lush green leaves. It's just the picture God wants you to have when you're all about the word of God. When it's plastered on your refrigerator, when it's in your heart, when you're memorizing it, when you're singing it, when you're reading it, when you're listening to it on your Bible app. That's what I do. My eyes are bad now, and I just really enjoy listening. That's what we do. The first thing I hear in the morning is Barb's Bible app reading to her uh, in the other room, thankfully, because she gets up early. (laughs) And then I get up, and I do the same thing. And sometimes we just listen together or read together. And so, yeah. So any dry barrenness of soul is really self-inflicted. It's neglecting the living waters. So I love Isaiah 58 and verse 11. The Lord will guide you always. He'll satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And the source of that nourishment is the word of God. I remember being out in the rice paddies in uh, Japan where we lived, and we went to church in the middle of nowhere, Tsubata Kyokai. And uh, there were just a small, tiny church, as most of them are in Japan. And there was this delightful man, and he had five or six kids. And it's like, what? How in Japan you don't have five or six kids, and 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 you certainly don't love the Lord the way He did. He walked around with the Bible everywhere, and I said, "How did you come to faith?" And through a translator, and I'll never forget Nakai Sensei translating back into English. I'm looking at Watanabe's face, and he says, he says, speaks the Japanese to Nakai, and then Nakai speaks to me in English. He says. Mr. Watanabe have gigantic hole in his heart. <laughs> Just like, oh man, I, I know that feeling and the way to not. Do you know how many people come to the Lord out of that barren ache of emptiness? You don't have God. You don't know why you're here. You're just drifting around. You have some passions, you have some interests, but you don't really know why God made you. And that will give you a resounding gong at the center of your soul that drives you to find your maker and your purpose for being here. Fruitful means that your life is useful to God. It produces something other than just stuff for yourself. Fruit is for the picking, to refresh. It's a sweet fruit for others, you see. And oftentimes fruit is called good deeds and good works when we help people and uh, character qualities. God produces a crop of fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You know, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, you'll bear much fruit. And this brings my father glory. 
And it's his great desire that you bear much fruit. So, And whatever they do prospers. And this makes sense. If you're in the word, you love the word, and you're trying to live by the word, you know, from right thinking comes right behavior. You're just going to end up speaking what's right, thinking what's right, correcting what's wrong, responding in the right attitude and spirit because the word my Christian friends the secret to a blessed life is the word of God that's the point of this psalm so let's move on it's time to move the slide now to the contrast is the uh, the, the, the path that doesn't lead to life and no blessings, but really a curse. And so I shudder to think about this. Not so the wicked, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. And so let's talk about this horrible place that we all know all too well because we were on that road until Jesus came and saved us. And so contrary to the world's idea that everybody is going to get some kind of participation trophy when they die at the end of their life that i mean have you ever noticed you go to funerals right in american funerals it doesn't matter how you lived it doesn't matter if you were a christian or whatever you know if they ever acknowledge god or not in their lives like arnold schwarzenegger just said in a viral video you know flipping through He says, here's what happens when you die. Nothing. You're six feet under. Anyone who tells you something is a liar. I can tell you one thing. After this life, we're never going to see each other ever again. Then why did you say, I'll be back? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There you go. There you go. Well, listen up, Arnold. Oh, my goodness. Arnold, how do you know? How do you know what happens at death? You have an appointment, Arnold. You're going to die. Hebrews 9.27, we all have an appointment with death. And then someone will say, inevitably, at his uh, funeral, he's in a better place. He's not in pain anymore. He's lifting weights with the angels. You know, or or whatever. He's blowing things up in some beautiful airplane thing, whatever he does. With but guess what? No. He's not going to be lifting weights with the angels if he dies with that attitude. Um, Jesus says, if you reject the author of life, you shall not see life. For you never came to life. You died dead. And when you die dead, you have to die again. And that's called the second death. Jesus said, he who has the son has life. He who doesn't have the son shall not see life. For the wrath of God remains on them. John 3.36. Sins have to be paid for. Now, okay, so he says, they're like chaff. What does that mean? The idea is a complete waste. You never came to life. You didn't have God in your life. You don't know why you're here. So chaff is the shell 
There's no use to it. It just gets piled up and discarded. A wasted human life. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They've wasted their life. And worse than that, Jesus says in Matthew 12, if you're not for me, you're against me. If you don't gather with me, you scatter. So in other words, if you're not with the Lord and helping, you're part of the problem. You spent your life apart from God, making messes, flailing in the water, taking others down with you, spreading misinformation, uh, perpetuating pain, being just aimlessly wandering, self-absorbed, living for the right things. You never once experienced the love of God. You never once prayed for one soul. Your whole life was just about, I don't know, just about you. Oh my goodness, what a waste. What a waste. Never to do the will of God. Never to shine light. Rejecting your maker, dying in your sins. That's not going to bring a reward. It's going to bring something called perishing. And so, yeah. Because why? Because everybody's been given a choice. Ezekiel 33.11 says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, I take no delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their sins and live. Live, says the Lord. So two roads diverged in the wood of their spiritual journey, everybody's, and these guys chose to follow the sin-loving crowd right down the path and off that proverbial cliff. And notice that the wind blows. You see, when a wicked person, a wicked, you always think wicked is mega evil, but it could be a super nice person who just hates God. But when the unbeliever dies, they're powerless. And the wind, the Holy Spirit, now is in charge and is moving them in a direction most unpleasant. And they will be blown. And uh, it's not a very good place. They'll be thrown, uh, they'll be blown before the throne of the Almighty God, the judge of heaven and earth. The way of the wicked will perish, the last verse there. Uh, John the Baptist said, Jesus comes with a winnowing fork in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Matthew 3 and verse 12. For me, what that does for me, it, it just fans the flame of that evangelism thing. Just, I can't stand knowing that my neighbors who don't know the Lord um, are headed for that destiny. And so I'll say something or I'll pray for them. I'll do something. So we don't need to be freaked out by it. We need to be spurred on to prayer and good works and shining the light. The wicked will not stand in the judgment, meaning there's no place for them at the judgment of uh, the redeemed, the assemblies of the righteous. There's no place for them. Um, Everything familiar to the unbeliever uh, in death will be gone. And they stand before God. Everything that they sought to build, gone. Everything they invested in, time and talents, gone. And they have nowhere to stand. In fact, Revelation 20 says the great white throne 
I saw him who was seated on it, John speaking, and the dead from the small to the greatest standing there. And here's the quote, there was no room for them. There was no place for them. Heaven and earth flees away and there's no place to stand. There's just no place for them. And that's awful. It all gets, they, they built their house on the sand and the storm of death came and God's judgment and swept it all away. Just a wonderful way to end is the converse of that is so true for us that we've built our house on the rock of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he says, trust me, he who hears my words and put my words into practice will be the man who, the woman, who builds their life on me, the rock of God. The rains will come, the storms, death will come calling, and you will die, and not a hair on your head will perish, and you will come to life in the fullness of what God had for you. Two roads diverge in the wood. Which one are you on tonight? Let's pray. God, thank you for Psalm 1. Just a nice preamble to the entire set of Psalms. Two paths, one of obedience to you and blessing, and one disobedience that ends in disaster. Help us to remember that when we're tempted to do something stupid, to gratify our cravings of our sinful nature, to know that we're new and we're off that path and road, God. Thank you for your word. Give us a desire for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.